I'm Stuart Brand. This seminar about long-term thinking is brought to you by the Long Now Foundation. If you would like to see high-quality videos of the talks in the series, including this one, they are available online for Long Now members at longnow.org. Welcome, everybody. I'm Alexander Rose. I'm the executive director at the Long Now Foundation, and welcome to the Marathon uh, Relay Long Conversation. Uh, I'd like to thank the Contemporary Jewish Museum for hosting this, and uh, across the way we have Yerba Buena Center for the Arts hosting uh, Jem Finer's Long Player Live, which uh, you'll be hearing from Jem shortly. Um, and other than that, on your program, there is uh, one change. Danny Hillis got sick today and was not able to fly. So uh, Emily Levine, amazing uh, comedian who uh, has performed several times at TED, will be filling in for him. And other than that, I am going to uh, set this going. Every 19 minutes, there will be a new speaker rotating on. You're welcome to stay as long as you like. You're also welcome to wander across the street. The same ticket gets you in. Uh, to the Long Player Live piece. And then in the lobby is So So Limited is remixing all the text data video that's coming out of this in real time. And it's really awesome not to be missed. So on your way out or uh, feel free to hang out and you can listen to the talks there as well. So begin. Thank you. Hi, I'm Stuart Brand uh, from the Long Now Foundation. What do you say you're from, Jim? Um, well, in this context, I'm from, uh, I'm, well, I'm part of Long Player. I composed Long Player, if that's the word for it, and that's the context I'm here in. How long ago did Long Player start and why? Well, the, uh, <clears throat> the music in itself started in, uh, on the cusp of the year 2000 at the International Dateline. How long had you been thinking about it before that cusp? Uh, I'd been thinking about the idea of making something that engaged with time as a long, slow process for a long time. I don't know how many years, but maybe since I was a... Well, not since I was a kid, but since I sort of started making music and art. <clears throat> and... Um, but the, uh, it, the idea sort of crystallized around the middle of the 1990s. Mm -hmm. Just about the time, actually, we crystallized yeah. the 10,000-year clock idea. That, that's right. Something was in the air. Yeah, well, I think what was in the air was the, the millennium approaching. Right. And, and for me, something, you know, I, I remember being a kid. So I was born in 1955, and I guess, so around 1960, I can remember my father giving me comics for the first time or maybe a bit younger and there were these science fiction stories about the future and stuff and the year 2000 seemed to always, you know, it was this thing that was a very long way away and, and I can remember in the, in the mid-1990s that in, in England at least in the press people started to talk about the millennium and the year 2000 but not beyond it, they were just talking about a few days of having a party or you know, making some architectural monstrosity to celebrate it, but nothing beyond. The only thing I could find that was thinking beyond 2000 was the World Cup in 2002. That seemed to be the only, you know, the only forward thinking going on. So that sort of crystallized my uh, thinking about... So cycles let you punch through membranes like the year 2000 cycles, like World Cup coming around every so often, and well, it seems to be 
yeah. I mean, that's the only thing that people seem to talk about in the press that was beyond 2000. Now, you mentioned as we were assembling here that you've intersected with Brian Eno, and Brian Eno is one of the board members and yeah. founding people, really, of the yes. Long Now Foundation, uh, connected you with the idea of Long Now, clock, various things. How did that play out? Well, um, when, when I had the idea of uh, making Long Player, this long piece of something, I thought, well, a piece of music is a, the way to go. Mm -hmm. And um, I approached um, a friend, an acquaintance, really, um, that my wife, Marcia, prompted me to go and talk to, Michael Morris, who's the director of an organization called Art Angel in London. Mm -hmm. They commission art works of an unusual nature. Mm. And he, he was very interested, and he said, well, would you like us to commission you? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. So I, I sort of really landed on my feet. And, um, and he's a friend of Brian's, and one of the first things we did was we sort of made, we called them think tanks, which was inviting a group of people to you know, as I had ideas and worked my way through them, we'd all sit down and spend an evening talking. Hmm. And so Brian was one of the people invited, um, and, and he came along and was incredibly uh, helpful about, you know, pointing me in various directions. And I, I, I learned, having started working on Long Play, I read his book called A Year with Swollen Appendices, and in hmm. one of the pink appendices, I found uh, a one-page piece of writing about the Long Now Foundation, the clock. And, and I was really um, excited about this. I thought, this is amazing. It's like, um, you know, same kind of um, motivations and a different way of approaching it, and then obviously a, a more ambitious timescale. Um, yeah, we're only ten times more ambitious than you are. Yeah, I know, yeah. Well, you're <laughs> Americans, you know. <laughs> so, uh, you're realists. <laughs> well, actually, uh, you know, people say to me, Long Player's a thousand-year piece of music, what happens at the end? And I say, well, actually, it's an everlasting piece of music that repeats every thousand years. So that is, it's a kind of uh, more like a planetary system that... Well, we came to the same point on that because the 10,000-year clock, people say what happens in the you know, year 8,000. Yeah. And uh, nothing special. It's yeah. Just, yeah it's, it's sort of 10,000 is in the middle of the time frame that we're trying to yeah. reach into. But it's also easier to say, just as 1,000 is easier to say since we're on the decimal system. Exactly. I suppose if we were totally binary, we'd come up with some other fun number. Well, if we were totally binary, you'd have a millennium every eight years. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was one of the things I thought was absurd about this whole thousand thing. You know, it's like cause we've got these wobbly things on the end of our hands. Yeah, well, it's, uh, the clock, by the way, is not decimal. And, in fact, uh, the clock works because it is binary. Uh, you had, who's the, the fellow in England who, who made a... Babbage. Babbage made yeah. a fabulous computer ever so long ago, previous century before yeah. the last one. And uh, one of the reasons it didn't work is because it was decimal rather than binary. That's right. And, and the guys here say it's also because Babbage did not have FedEx. Well, that's probably got a lot to do with it, yeah. yeah FedEx like I prefer actually. UPS, actually. <laughs> they have nicer uniforms. 
And your piece of music is very time-drenched in a way because many aspects of it presumably could not have been done in a previous century, and a century from now, the kind of instrumentation you're using will seem very archaic, won't it? Well, it's funny you should say that because um, when I started working on it, I just assumed very naturally I'd use a computer. Hmm. Um, because obviously to literally write 10,000 years worth of music's out of the question, really. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, I always took it for granted. I'd work, find out, I'd work out some process which would generate that mm -hmm. score. Um, but a place where Brian Eno was very helpful and um, Danny Hillis, hmm. by proxy sort of thing, and the whole clock of the long now, um, sort of idea of how to do things was that um, Brian kept saying, you can't just do this on a computer, you know. And I was sort of at the beginning sort of saying, well, why not? You know, like, w there'll be someone that's a caretaker of this and, you know, when the computer breaks down, they can just go and buy a new one. And <coughs> he said, yeah, well, you know, like, operating systems change. How do you know, you know, there'll be computers? And I kind of was in denial for a while because I was too obsessed with, well, how the hell am I going to do this? Mm. And, and once I hit on a, a system, I thought, hang on, this is pointless unless it actually can find form in any technology. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> fortunately, the system I came up with was one that lends itself to mechanical reproduction being played by human beings. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it wasn't tied to a computer. The computer wasn't doing anything that only computers can do, as it were. So this is basically a score that goes for a thousand yeah. years? Yeah. So and is it in some sense algorithmic that it's playing out some formula? Yeah. It's totally deterministic. You could sit down and write it out as notation, conventional notation. Mm -hmm. um, and it can be played on acoustic instruments. That's why who ended up using the singing bowls, hmm. well, for a number of reasons, but one being that, you know, they're resilient, sturdy mm -hmm. things hmm. that will hold their tuning for a long time. Um, there's other reasons too, but, um, you know, cultural and to do with acoustics. Hmm. But so, in fact, having, I call it like post-digital because mm -hmm. it's something that started out through thinking in processes and ways um, that one learns to think of when you computer programming. Mm -hmm. But it kind of breaks through that back into a tactile relationship mm -hmm. with the, the world. So it's like a returning to a tactile relationship with materials, instruments, the world, but informed by strategies one learns from programming computers. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the form it ended up with is actually something that if I'd thought about in a different way to start with, I might have arrived at without a computer. Hmm. And so what, what the live version has been boiled down to is something that relies on no technology at all. The only bit of vague technology that's there is, are the stopwatches people use to time themselves, which are clockwork. That's not so vague. Yeah. It's pretty crisp. Like we have uh, eight minutes and 36 seconds yet to speak here. Uh, 
So, well, I, a Brian Eno story. Um, I was at, I forget if he raised it, but we were talking about change ringing, the, yeah. the, the strange uh, British behavior of going out and basically playing the bells in churches all night long according to some mathematical uh, algorithms. They have wonderful names of the, the various um, ways it's played. <clears throat> and, and Brian, of course, because he was doing music, ambient music and so on, that, that often was kind of playing itself in a certain fashion and in a similar way, uh, got in touch with the Change Ringers Association or whatever it is, I'm sure a wonderfully quixotic group, and uh, got in touch with him and said, I'd like to know uh, how you do your music. And he got a very stern letter back saying it's not music. Is that right? That's right. And he was uh, both chastened and felt sorry for them <laughs> simultaneously yeah. because as far as he was going, you know, you've heard it, it is music. But from their standpoint, the, the rigor of playing out the ferocious mathematical ferocity of, you know, getting through the entire sequence, getting through it right all night long, you know, until it comes all the way around, that kind of thing. Do you relate to the change-ringing tradition at all? Definitely, yeah. How so? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really interesting algorithmic form of making music. And I find that fascinating. They don't recognize it. As you ever seen it up close? People up in the belfry, you know, rising up on these. I've seen films. I haven't actually seen them in person. But I mean, I've been in bell towers. I've seen those bells, most recently in Bath, and they're like massive bells. Uh huh. Yeah, I mean, and a bunch of people standing around a circle, all just grim as hell, gazing at one another. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's because they've got to get the sequence. And then there goes that one. There goes that one. There goes now. Now it's me. And and the and there's this weird delay because they pull on the the bell rope and nothing yeah. happens and then at the you know right amount of lag after it dong they've yeah. done it. Uh, it must be nerve wracking. It's very perilous, I believe. You I can have know. a nasty accident. Well, if you don't let go, you get taken right up. And then die, and then that destroys the sequence, and everybody's mad at you. Yeah, um, exactly. Plus, there was a wonderful mystery. What was the name of it that's based around uh, change ringing? Say it again. Nine Taylors. Right. It was in Nine Taylors was the name of one of the the uh, the ringings, right? Dorothy Sayers. There you go. Crowdsourcing can happen anywhere. <laughs> So here you are, You're, you've thought about Long Now, Long Now's thought about you, now we're intersecting. Yeah. Uh, are we going to do this every thousand years, or, or what do you think? What's the, what happens when these two long pieces of art intersect? Do well, they give each other audience, or permission, or encouragement, or do we cancel each other out? What happens? No, I don't, I don't think we cancel each other out. Right. Um, <clears throat> And, and I'm very, I'm, I'm glad that there's, I think there are really two very interesting ways of approaching the same problems. Because a clock is one way of thinking about time. Mm -hmm. And a piece of music is a very different way of thinking about time. Because in a piece of music, you need a clock. Well, you don't need a clock. You can play totally out of time. But the way a long player plays... You, you, need, you need a clock to mm -hmm. play it. And all computers so far need clocks, yeah. except some analog computers. But there's, like, there's lots of different time scales going on within it. 
and, and the experience of playing music is one which is very... I mean, through playing music, I became aware of time, experiencing time in a very different way of, from before I'd played music. Because when you're playing music live, mm -hmm. you get a very strong feeling you're sort of surfing on the edge of time, if that makes sense. It, you're, you're really, I suppose you're living in the present. Very, okay. Yeah. You, you're because and you're with a bunch of other people often, unless you're solo. You're all on the same beat. Yeah. As well, somebody, you know, at the beginning. More or less. And that's astonishing in a way. Yeah. Is that where all of this strict time? I mean, th that's the overlap so far. Is, well, is time, that kind of time, music time ebbs and flows a lot in music. Sorry? Time ebbs and flows a lot, as you, mm -hmm. I'm sure you know. Do you, do you play music? Um, subjective time ebbs and flows. Yeah, some subjective other time ebbs yeah. and flows, yeah. Okay, what about astronomy? Because the, the thing that we found is, is um, with the clock, very quickly, once we got larger than hours, uh, days start to be an astronomical event. Years are on Earth an astronomical event. And by and by, we're talking about the precession of the equinoxes every 26,832 or whoever it is years. Yeah. And uh, that's sort of fun. But we're, we're, we're finding that we're doing this arbitrary thing with seconds, maybe, dating back to early Persians. But pretty quickly, you, you get from arbitrary into what's already there. <laughs> and uh, I suppose especially physical music, which is dealing with physical things, singing bells or whatever, you're, you're, you're making a deal with physical reality, uh, bashing your imagination up against physical reality, and then trying to go from your subjectivity into the listener's subjectivity via that process. That's pretty strange. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not language, is it? No, it's not language at all. But I mean, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to make something that dealt with time in these ways is because I couldn't understand it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like a curiosity. Like, I mean, since I was a kid, I've always I've, maybe I've got one of these conditions, you know, that I need to know how things work. Mm -hmm. So I'd always take things apart and could never put them back together again clocks and toys, anything I could get apart. And, and time was just another of those things. It's like a curiosity. How does this work? How do I experience it like this? How does it, what does it mean in terms of cosmology, philosophy, etc.? And language, I couldn't do it with language. I think this is one of the reasons I was compelled to mm -hmm. do it with some kind of art. Well, you're also safe in that the language is likely to move a many long distances in a thousand years, whereas what you're doing with music can be uh, much the same. It occurs to me, as you're thinking about doing this piece of music, you must have had some ideas about it, and we're kind of learning about that process of taking it seriously. Then you actually did it, yeah. starting in 2000, and some things must have occurred that, well, that's interesting and surprising. Now what? Mm -hmm. And here we are 10 years later, and you're doing it again. You know, are what are the realizations for you as the player and that you see in the listeners as you move along? And we have one minute left to say this. I don't know if I can say that in, <laughs> in one minute. Uh, uh, well, uh, well, just to say it very quickly, it's like it, when Long Player started at the beginning of 2000, I thought, that's great, I've done it. Mm. But actually, that was just the beginning. Mm. 
and I just keep learning things from it, and it evolves. And let's see, you're how old? Sorry? How old are you? 55. Okay, so you get another 30 or 40 years of learning from this piece. I hope so, yeah, at least. Thanks very much. Nice, nice to talk to you. And I have 15 seconds to say I will be back at the end of this long cycle, not so long cycle. And uh, meanwhile, the next speaker is up. Greetings, all. This seminar about long-term thinking was brought to you by the Long Now Foundation. Thanks to Fora TV, you can see high-quality videos of the talks online by joining Long Now as a member at longnow.org. Thank you for listening. I'm Stuart Brand.